I am so excited for this year's fall retreats. If you are a preteen, if you are a middle schooler, if you're a high schooler, you will not want to miss this. In a culture like ours, it is so important to be able to take time to get away and to unplug and to fully, to fully immerse yourself in something that is fun, something that is meaning-filled, and something that has the potential to be life-changing. We've had a lot of cool themes over the years with our retreats. I'm telling you, this new one, this has the potential to become an all-time classic for us. Our theme this year is Rock On. And the students are going to come in on Friday night, and it's going to feel like they are right before a big concert. We're going to have the trusses and the lights and the hazers and the lasers and the whole bit. And what we're going to do with this theme is we're going to use this Rock On theme to have be a launch point to talk about how do we build a rock-solid foundation. In a culture like ours, we're just being swept up by so many things. How can we anchor to something else? Well, this, this camp is going to be taking place up at a place called Covenant Pines. And when we go up to Covenant Pines, if, if you're driving when it's not dark out, we pass a sign that looks a lot like this one. It's got Smokey the Bear on it, and he is next to an indicator that lets you know what today's fire danger is so that you know on this day how careful you need to be when it comes to flames. Now, if there were such a thing where there was a flammability indicator for our culture on any given day, if there was some sort of indicator that could say, right now, how flammable is it out there to offer an opinion or something like that? How many of you would say that right now in our culture, our, our flammability indicator should probably be our fire dangers on lower medium? Show of hands. We've got no hands here. How about high or extreme? Every hand. Fire danger right now is high or extreme. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. If you're sensing that our culture is becoming increasingly incendiary, there is evidence to back you up. It is not just your intuitions. Has there always been conflict in our culture? Of course there has. But is our society getting more flammable? Also, yes. One source that I looked at as I was prepping for this series cited a recent survey. According to that survey, the percentage of Americans who, quote, strongly dislike the opposition party is up 400% in the last two decades. 400% in the last two decades. And one of the many reasons for this is that people are discovering new ways to profit from it. They're finding ways to profit from fear. So they're going to want to generate more of it. They're profiting from division. So they're generating more of it. And so you have many politicians, not all, but many politicians, many influencers, many news outlets, many social media sites. They've discovered fear is profitable. And they found that if you position yourself up and against somebody else, that's going to be profitable. It'll get you more clicks. In this new world we live in, 
When extreme positions generate higher click counts, more votes, increased giving, productive conversation around complex issues, it's becoming almost impossible. And it's needed because we have complex situations all around us. In a world this broken, that's part of the deal. With so much that needs, needs fixing, there's also a place to write this down too. All right, then how do we act on righteous anger if we live in a powder keg? Some of you have been waiting of this, this series that we just started. Some of you have been waiting for, for this, um, this message today. When we see things that aren't the way they should be, Something burns inside of us. The answer is not just, oh, everybody just be nice. It, it, it can't just be that simple. When, when, we, when we see things that aren't the way they should be, when something burns inside of us, what do we do with that? When we see leaders who are looking to their own interests or to the interests of their tribe and not to the interests of society as a whole. When we see leaders thinking only about short-term gains, instead of looking to the future generations. When we see people who are exploiting others for profit, especially kids and teens. When we see people twisting the scriptures, misrepresenting Christianity, when we see blatant hypocrisy, when a righteous anger burns within us, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? In a society that's this flammable, so we don't want to be playing with matches. All right, well, for the last three weeks, we've been opening our Bibles together to a first century letter that we call the book of Galatians. Galatians was written by a former Pharisee named Paul. Paul had converted. He converted to this new movement that was just now beginning to be called Christianity. He converted from being a Pharisee to this new movement. And he wrote this letter as a former Pharisee. He wrote this letter to the Galatians from a place of deep frustration. He is frustrated because hardcore religious influencers were teaching a way that wasn't authentic Christianity. And yet they were labeling themselves as such. And so what they're doing is they were misrepresenting the way of Jesus. So here's an example of how he expressed this in his letter. This is a passage we've looked at each week in the series. Galatians 5, verses 7 through 8 says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from the one who calls you. Well, people are doing the same thing today. And in this series, we're looking specifically at a new form of Pharisee who are telling people, hey, take a strong stand for God, but many of the things they're saying, the way that they're saying them, it's actually causing more harm than good. If you have your Bible with, Bible with you, let's look at our new content for today. We're going to open up to Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 1. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can go right now uh, online, go to Bible.com. You can download a free Bible app that's an excellent, excellent resource. All right, here we go. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. All right, let's talk about this just a little bit here. And if you could, if you could just keep the screen up on the, or keep the verse up on the screen for just a minute or two, Mike. In a different letter, Paul said, let's be careful about judging outsiders. 
Let God take care of that. So that was in another letter. He said, be careful about judging outsiders. You know, let God take care of that. But in the same letter, that is other letter, Paul affirms what we just saw here, that we have a responsibility. We have responsibility to hold other believers accountable as brothers and sisters. So how do we do that well? How do we do that well? Well, Paul's about to tell us, and I need to confess that I've missed something my entire life here in this, this passage. It was right in front of me. Missed it all my life. The reason I ask you to keep this on the screen is there's that word spiritual. He said, if someone is gone off the rails a little bit um, and there's this transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Now, generally when I think of spiritual, the, the, the image that comes into my mind is somebody doing spiritual practices. So I picture when I hear someone that's spiritual, what I picture in my head, it's someone who is praying a lot, reading scripture, singing God songs. These are all spiritual activities. But here's the thing. This word has a context. The use of the word spiritual has a context here, a specific context here. And the context, I feel so embarrassing admitting this, the context is what we just read last week. The context. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. That comes almost immediately before this. It's like two verses away. Here, here it is, the context. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What does a spiritual response look like? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. That's the immediate context here. The spiritual response is responding out of the fruit of the Spirit to restore our brothers and sisters. So the goal is restoration. And it says right there in that, do it in a spirit of gentleness. I love this quote. This is from a pastor in Georgia. He says, you don't get to choose what following Christ looks like. The prescription's on the label. I love that. Last week, we discussed how our actions speak louder than words. That's true for our reactions, too. Our reactions speak louder than words. How we react when we feel righteous anger burning inside of us, it says a lot about our spiritual maturity. Are we giving a spiritual response? Do we react like Saul the Pharisee, or do we react as Paul the Christian instructs us to react. I was invited to an event several months ago and we got to hear from somebody who was near the epicenter of the evangelical world for a whole lot of years. His name is Russell Moore. And here's what he observed from all of his decades in that world. Look at this. Spiritual maturity has become an impediment to advancement in many churches. When Paul the Pharisee, when Paul was a Pharisee, he was rewarded for dunking on those who disagreed, wasn't he? He got promoted. In fact, he said, I was advancing faster than others my age back when he was really hostile to all those who were in the opposition. But what happened when Paul began to see through a more spiritually mature set of eyes? They turned on him, didn't they? Some things don't change. We're seeing that right now. I can think of all kinds of examples where this is true. Spiritual maturity has become an impediment to advancement. Scripture says, I, I repeat this a lot lately, 
Scripture says, knowledge puffs up. It's love that builds up. So Paul goes on. He says, okay, you want spiritual maturity? Here's here's what this looks like. Let's go back to today's text, verse 2. So remember, the progression of thought here is, this is the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to be spiritually mature, here's here's how a spiritually mature person responds. And then, not sure what, how you get there, this is what he, where this thought goes. 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is such practical teaching. Such practical teaching. Remember, this is a continuation of what it means to be spiritually mature and spirit-led and helpful to others who've lost their way. If you want to follow the example of Jesus, if you want to know whether or not your influencers are following the example of Jesus, bearing one another's burdens, that's where Paul begins. As I was studying this passage, one of the resources I looked at referenced a quote by Abraham Lincoln. Here's what it said. I don't like the man. I must get to know him better. Isn't that the opposite often of what we do? And, and when you think about this, just put yourself in this position. Don't you wish that more people started here when it comes to you? Before they cast judgment on you, be- before they, they're quick to dismiss you, before they make all kinds of assumptions about you, don't you wish they knew you better? Don't you wish they knew what you were going through? Don't you know, wish that what you have been through? You know, don't you wish they got to understand your context before they started judging you? That's what happens when we bear one another's burdens. We try to understand each other's lives. When we come alongside one another and share our burdens, we will often find ourselves becoming less critical of them. Often. We'll become less judgmental as we learn their story. And as we've been preparing for this gender series that's coming up, we become a lot less sure of our simple answers when we get into people's lives. We become reminded of our common good and common ground and common struggles, common hopes and common spheres. All right, let's jump ahead and see how Paul continues here. Uh, Verses 7 through 8, Paul says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You reap what you sow. My neighbor Nick, my neighbor Nick, he is our neighborhood lawn whisperer. Nick is. For me, I'm just trying to keep our house from being the one that brings the property value of the entire neighborhood down when it comes to our our lawn, especially in the front. Well, one day he saw me trying to tend to this mess in the front, And with gentleness and respect, Nick said, do you mind if I ask what seed you're you're putting down? And so I pulled out my bag of lawn seed that I got at a big box store. And he said, have you ever looked at the label on that? I'm like, grass seed. I mean, what else is it going to say? And he gave me an education. He had me take a closer look. and, And in this bag of grass seed, it's only a certain percent grass seed. The rest are these mystery (laughs) seeds that he said are weeds. You're sowing weeds into your lawn. 
There's a reason why Nick's lawn looks different than my lawn. And <laughs> uh, he is a guy who sows well and he reaps what he sows. Nick is extra careful in the seed that he puts down and you can see the results. One of the main reasons that we put this series on this calendar is because I see so many people. They have good intentions. They want to know what does it look like to live a God-honoring life. And they're listening to influencers who have good points to make. But there's a lot of other stuff mixed in there. In, in, in the radiation they're given off, in the teaching itself. And what ends up happening is these good-intentioned people end up spreading those toxins, spreading that radiation to other people. And when people see around us, when people see all this toxic radiation coming from people identifying as Christians, they see all the division, they see all the hypocrisy, many people come to the same conclusion as this guy who says, I used to think faith and fake were synonyms. My brothers and sisters, we don't need to choose between a passion for truth and the principles that Paul presents in Galatians. If anything, these are the principles. If you got righteous anger, these are the principles that change hearts, the ones he's given us. So, as verses 9 through 10 say, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we what? If we do not... If we don't give up. If we don't give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. A lot of us, we call this the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow if you don't give up. It's the law of the harvest. And there's a place to write this down in your notes. Scripture reminds us of this law of the harvest. We reap what we sow. In week one, we saw that leaven principle. It works both ways. Leaven spreads. So if the leaven is good, that means we can spread good things. In week two, we saw the same is true with radiation. What we radiate, it can draw people closer if we're radiating good things. This week, the icon behind me was, it stands for flammable. With the few remaining minutes we've got, Let's talk about how can we get flammability working for us, working for good. And it all starts with this question. What kind of fuel are you choosing? If you want to get this flammability principle, if you want to reap what you sow, if you want to have it going for you, what kind of fuel are you choosing? Because if you find that you're lacking fire, like I'm not fired up about the things of God, perhaps your fuel is too watered down. If you find yourself, I'm easily triggered, you know, then maybe there's a lot of explosive stuff that is getting mixed in with your fuel, right? So that's the first question. What kind of fuel are you choosing? If you're selecting the right fuel, this next part is equally as important, though. Not only what kind of fuel are you choosing, but what kind of furnace are you building? What kind of furnace are you building? The other day I was on a walk and I was praying about this message. So I was going on my walk. And as I was praying, I, I was reminded of the house that I grew up in. When my father added on to our house, he spent a lot of time on the furnace and what we called the furnace room. 
My dad was a mechanical engineer. And the furnace that he selected could also, in addition to burning oil as a fuel source, it could also burn wood, burn wood. And there was a whole lot of tech that went into that section of the furnace to ensure that you could get this wood burning hot, but not getting channeled wrong ways and not destroying the rest of the device, destroying the rest of the house. There was a lot of tech that went in so that the heat was maximized and channeled properly. And here's the picture (laughs) that I got in my head. It'd be a whole lot faster. It'd be a whole lot easier. Why mess with a furnace? Why not just light the house on fire? You're going to get faster results, and there people are going to see that fire for miles around. Of course, what's the downside? No more house. You burn down your house. That's one of my concerns with the religious influencers right now and the disciples they're making. We're seeing a lot of that. It's faster to get this reaction, but you're end up burning things down. As a church, we learned a lot of lessons the hard way, a lot of lessons the hard way about the importance of how do you put protective measures around passions and differences? How do you channel it? And one of the things that we've done now is every new member is to become a member of our church. We talk about some of these things we put in place so that we can disagree well and learn from each other and channel these passions. I think this metaphor that came to me on that walk, it's worth reflecting on. As are these three questions that we got at one of the global leadership summits, they'll actually do the last one. These are questions that can help you from throwing sparks. I mean, it's so flammable out there right now. You know, this, these can help you from throwing sparks unnecessarily as you try to respond to people. So here we go. Here are three questions that spiritually mature people consider before opening their mouths or before they hit send. Question number one, is it true? Is it true? And I, I got to tell that question is harder to answer than you think it is. At least many people think it is. Because a lot of us, we're only hearing one perspective that gets amplified over and over and over again. We've got to be so diligent on this. I'm not just thinking we've heard the truth because we heard it on the news or because we heard it from what we think is a reputable source or even someone who says, this is what the Bible says. We have to be careful on this, more careful than ever before. We have a deep internal drive to make sense of this world. And people are exploiting that craving. They're exploiting it. This book right here, Hitmakers by Derek Thomas, he does a great job of articulating and documenting this. He talks about how these algorithms are created and messaging is crafted to create content that reinforces what we already believe. It's, it's designed in this way. It's like a camera lens. Paul, or Sam's going to like this analogy here. It's like a camera lens. Our worldview tightens to the aperture of preferential perspectives. We think we're looking through the lens of truth because this is how big our lens is. But here's the reality, and this is a quote from that book. Rather than connect the world, these technologies can create millions of cults whose worldviews are airbrushed by commercial interest in surrounding people with ideas that mirror their own. We could spend a month on this quote. 
But I got less than five minutes. So here's the second question. One, is it true? Two, is this? Is it helpful? Is it true? Is it helpful? And with a show of hands, how many, how many of you know that something that's helpful might not be helpful right now? <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, number three. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Now, kind is not soft. Can I get an amen? Kind is not soft. True kindness requires us to tell the truth. But you can speak the truth in love, or you can, like Jesus did, or you can push the law with judgment, like the Pharisees did. If we simply ask these three questions before we opened our mouths or before we hit send, that would go a whole long way in helping us get better at speaking the truth in love. All right, well, on that walk, the one where I had that image of the wood-burning furnace at our farmhouse, I got another picture. All right, so I got this other picture that I was walking. And see if you can picture this in your head too. Imagine an entire city, an entire city that looks like it had been just burned to the ground almost. There's just ashes and rubble smoldering. But there's a couple houses that look untouched. A couple businesses that look untouched. A couple churches that look untouched. And their furnaces are working well. It's the middle of winter. And they're warm. And there's joy. And there's conversations happening in these homes, in these particular businesses, in these particular churches. Because they're following these things that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, taught us to do. Do you think as this is happening more and more, because this is happening more and more, do you think more and more people aren't going to start to notice that? Why are, is this group not yelling at each other? Why is this group able to have conversations about things they disagree with? Why is this business not imploding from within? What are they doing different? Our last talk point that we have is this. Remember, we'll reap a harvest if we what? Don't... We'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. There'll be those who just refuse and they'll stand out there shivering in the cold and yelling at us for not. But there'll be those who take notice of this. One of the few positives coming out of the incendiary rhetoric of our day is that the fields have not been this ripe for harvest in a long, long time. The early Christians had their struggles. Paul's letters are testimony to that. However, there was a different kind of fire that was fueling that movement. In 2018... A man named Bart Erdman, he wrote this book and published this book. It's called The Triumph of Christianity, How a Forbidden Religion Swept the World. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about this book is if I'm understanding it correctly, this guy's not a Christian. This guy's not a Christian. This guy's a historian slash New Testament scholar who in this book attempts to unravel one of history's greatest mysteries. How did a first century movement launched by a dozen or so Galileans not just survive against all odds, it went on to change the world. He 
closes his book with this astonishing assessment. Let me read this right from, right from the, this is the, how he ends this book. Christianity not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. It opened the door to public policies and institutions to tend to the poor, the weak, the sick, the outcast as deserving members of society. It was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, literature, music, philosophy, and on the even more fundamental level, the very understanding of billions of people about what it means to be human. However one evaluates the merits of the case, whether the Christianization of the West was a triumph to be treasured or a defeat to be lamented, no one can deny it was the most monumental cultural transformation our world has ever seen. Just last week, I was listening to the radio and I was listening to this guy. He's a practicing Jew. He's a practicing Jew. And he has many positive things to say about Christians. So he gets heat all the time because he's like, people call in, how can you say positive things about Christians with all the atrocities they commit, all the hypocrisy we see? And he says this, this was so revealing. He goes, what bad Christians do is universal. What good Christians did is unique. Let me say that one again. What bad Christians do That's universal, meaning to humanity. What good Christians did was unique, referring to the stuff that we just talked about. Here is a great summary of what the early church did. Christians refused to abandon the sick. They adopted abandoned children. They extended compassion and generosity to people and groups who could not return the favor. They deemed women equal to men. Slaves were treated as brothers. In the end, what was considered appalling became contagious. It swept through the empire. Against all odds, the message and the value system of a Nazarene cult inspired a cru- by a crucified teacher, it would circle the globe. It was irresistible. Let's do it again. My brothers and sisters, the field is ripe for another harvest. Another harvest. So let's seal our time together with a song that proclaims this truth. <laughs>